Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's reading will come from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. Before we continue in Jonah, I just wanted to uh, thank you for your encouragement of Randall last week as I was in uh, Granger at Gospel City, our sister church. I was missing you while I was there, uh, but was grateful that Randall could serve you last week. But as he served you, I just want you to know, you, you served he and his family. You were just such a blessing to them. I think I got two or three texts and one phone call from him this week, just he couldn't stop talking about you. Couldn't stop talking about the interactions he had and lunch he had afterwards, and they're so fired up. He sent me a text, I think Thursday or Friday, we have registered for the church picnic. We're gonna be there at the end of the month. So uh, thank you for displaying Christ and loving on their family. Uh, well, before we jump into Jonah again, let's pray. Father, Uh, We come before you, again, we can't come before you enough, but we ask God for you to help us. We ask God for you to open our eyes to see your abundant mercy and your pursuit of us, even when we might find ourselves in the depths of darkness. So open our eyes this morning uh, to see your mercy this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, just a bit of a review if you haven't been around since the beginning of Jonah, we, uh, this is what's happened in the book of Jonah. Jonah was called to go to a place called Nineveh, a place where there's people that are just really evil and do evil things to people. Uh, he didn't want to go there because he'd rather see his people, the people of Israel, crush them rather than them repent. So he goes, gets in a boat to go to what would have been the other side of the world, at least as he would have known it. Uh, God sends a storm uh, because Jonah's disobeying. Uh, the storm is rocked. He falls asleep in the boat. Uh, he gets woken up, brought up to the top, and they're like, what should we do? And they want to put Jonah, or Jonah says, why don't you throw me into the water? I think that'll settle everything. And the sailors are like, ah, we don't know if we want to do that. We want to live, but we don't want to murder a guy. But then the storm continues to rage, and then 
they finally relent. They pray to the Lord. They throw Jonah into the sea, and everything is calm. And those individuals come to a faith in the God of the universe because they encountered the power of the God of the universe, and then they submitted themselves to the God of the universe. And then we come to kind of the famous verse kind of in this text that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Well, the first Sunday we were in Jonah, I brought out my friend, so I brought him with us, with me again. We don't normally keep him back here, but, you know, this, this is kind of what people think about when they think about the book of Jonah. They think about a big fish, typically a whale because a whale is a big fish, right? And, and that's what they think about. And then they read the story, and then they kind of immediately discount the story because they're like, that's crazy. Like when these guys eat, have you seen the teeth on these things? They eat people. And then there's other individuals who'd be like, well, Jonah's not the first person to get swallowed by a fish, or at least the first person we know. He's not the only one. I mean, there's a guy, if you may have seen the YouTube video, there's a guy by the name of Michael Packard who was actually like swallowed by uh, in the mouth of a fish of a whale like a year ago. Now he was only in the fish for like a minute. So you're like, oh, he was only in there a minute. I mean, still, that's kind of crazy, right? It was only in there for a minute, so okay, but Jonah was for three days. Well, there's another guy by the name of James Bartley from the late 1800s that it's reported he was a fisherman on a boat, fell off the boat, and uh, like a whale of sorts had, had eaten him, or so, so others thought, and then day and a half later, the whale had been caught by some whalers. And as they're cutting the thing apart, doing the things that they used to do with whales, they discover that he was in the belly of the fish. He had gone blind. His skin was parched from digestive juices, which just sounds uh, and And that's how the story goes. Now, many Many will discount those stories, and the point isn't to try to say, well, well, this could actually happen, because we, we serve a God who does miraculous things, and all throughout the Bible, he does miraculous things. If God wants to preserve someone in the belly of a fish for three days, he can. If he wants to stop the sun from moving, he can. If he wants to part waters, he can, and he does. But even as we come to this story, it's not to talk about could Jonah survive in there or not, or, and it's not really about the miracle of him being in the fish. The point of this story isn't what's going on inside this guy. The point of the story is what's going on inside Jonah's heart. So we're just going to put this guy away so we're not distracted by this guy, though he's part of the story. Uh, and let's focus on what's going on in Jonah's heart because that's really what this story is about. Jonah's running away, and he's practically experiencing what we read in Psalm 139, which says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. We can't outrun God. And Jonah is found here praying from 
the depths, and he is experiencing a reality of God's mercy. Because mercy pursues even when we disobey. Because Jonah was disobeying. And we can often view the fish as like, well, that's judgment. I don't know about you, being in a fish sounds like judgment to me, but that's not judgment. It's actually God's mercy. Because the way the story unfolds in the text of Scripture isn't maybe the way you've seen it on maybe some children's Bibles or different stories. Like oftentimes you get this picture of you got a boat, right? And there's a gangplank. And Jonah's walking across the gangplank. And then Jonah's at the end of the gangplank. And there's a big fish here with his mouth wide open. And Jonah just goes, boop, right into the fish. That's how we have to kind of think how it happens. But that's not what the text says. Look back at your Bibles at verses 3 and then 5 and 6. So this is what Jonah says. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then jump down to verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Let's talk about bars. There's kind, of, there's kind of a twofold meaning to that, like the bars that you might think about being on a prison cell, like trapped in a place, but also the sandbars, not just the sandbars that you can walk out on, but the sandbars that are at the bottom of the ocean. So the picture from the text of Scripture is one that Jonah's in the water, and he's going down and down and down and down. And then what does God do as we read in verse 17? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The fish was there to save his life. It was God's mercy. He could be just one of the unknown individuals who've been lost at sea, never to be heard from again. Yet God sent a fish to save Jonah, but also for to meet Jonah at the place where he could hear God's voice. Because sometimes we have to find ourselves in the deepest, darkest places. Jonah goes down to Joppa, down to a ship, down in the belly of the ship, and then goes, goes into, uh, into the water, down into the deep, and now in the belly of the whale. And as one commentator says, you know, until he's all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, only when that was stripped away was he able to experience the true deliverance that he needed. It was the deliverance from his sinful heart. And sometimes we don't see our sin until we experience some kind of massive devastation or, or challenge in our life. We often try to just do things. Like, get, I want to get stuff done. I want to, I want to fix this. I'm going, to, I'm going to work on it. But when, when we get to the place where all possible problem solving is done, we're at a place where God has to work. Even the secular culture observes this kind of like when you get stripped away, you can get focused on things. I mean, author J.K. Rowling 
famous author, you may have heard of her, wrote a few books that were popular and made some movies. At a Harvard commencement speech in 2008, she described a point in her life in which she had failed on an epic scale. An exceptionally short-lived marriage had imploded, and I was jobless, she says, a lone parent, and as poor as it is possible to be, as, as poor as it is possible to be in modern Britain without being homeless. But she added, I began to direct all my energy into finishing the only work that mattered to me. Had I really succeeded at anything else, I might have never found the determination to succeed in the one arena, which was writing, I believed I truly belonged. She had to hit rock bottom. But yeah, that's a, that's a story that isn't, isn't pointing us to a, a much larger situation. The secular culture realized sometimes that, yeah, you can kind of hit rock bottom and then there's the success story after that. But that's not even here in the book of Jonah. It's much broader than, much bigger, because when, it, when those who trust in the God of the universe hit rock bottom, it's so that we can point, point our gaze to God and be used of his purposes. Think of Abraham. Think of Joseph. Think of David. Think of Peter. I mean, Peter seems like he's always putting his foot in his mouth throughout the life of Jesus as we see in the Gospels. And then towards the end, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes and he like hacks off the ear of a guy because he's just so zealous about what he wants to do. Jesus has to heal him. And then, then Peter denies Jesus three times. And does Jesus... Say, forget you. I'm just done with you. No, the picture we have at the end of the Gospel of John is Peter's fishing on a boat with the other disciples, and he sees Jesus. He jumps in the water. He goes and swims to Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't go, you know what, I'm going to talk to the other disciples. You, I'm just done with you. No, what's Jesus doing? We see some more fish because Jesus is making breakfast on the beach. And Jesus says, do you love me? And he says, of course I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Peter hits the bottom and he looks to Christ and Christ doesn't push him away. No, Jesus uses him. And Peter becomes the apostle that seems to lead the church in the first century through horrible persecution and suffering, but yet unprecedented growth and influence for the kingdom of God. But he had to come to a place of his realization of his need for God. And when you reach the very bottom, when everything is stripped away, that's when all our efforts, we realize they're fruitless. And when all our energy seems to be turned into exhaustion, then we're open to what the Lord has. So you may be in that place. And that place can feel really discouraging when you have disobeyed or when you have failed, or sometimes that discouragement comes because you're feeling some kind of other temptation, pressure, stress, broken relationship, the list goes on. But oftentimes, brothers and sisters, the place we learn the greatest secrets of God's mercy and grace is at the bottom. And not just because we're at the bottom, but because at the bottom we often cry out to God and we should cry out to God because when we cry out to God, he hears. Mercy listens even when we failed. 
God doesn't just hear us when we're doing well and then we pray. No, he hears us when we cry out to him at any point in time. Look, look at the text. So Jonah's obviously at a very uh, down point. He's in the belly of the fish and he prays. Verse one and two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now we get the sense, even as we read subjectively, Jonah was in there for the three days. It seems like he probably didn't pray until at the end. I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to imagine what it's like to be in the belly of a fish. But I would imagine it's quite dark and disorienting. I know what it's like when I get knocked over by a wave in the ocean and I get flipped, turned upside down, and I don't know what up or down is. And I can't imagine being in the belly of a fish where it's dark and a bit fishy smelling, I'm sure, and you're just completely disoriented. And remember, his heart was hard before this moment, and he's there, and who knows if in that moment he's just kind of freaking out what's going on, or maybe he's just kind of bitter, like maybe I would need to die. I mean, after a day in the belly of the fish, he's probably like, I just want to die. I hate you, God. Who knows? We don't have record in the scriptures of where he was at. But God was certainly hemming him in. And then he got to the place where I'm not dead. I've not, I've not perished. Why have I not perished? And his eyes start to look towards God and he prays and he recounts where he has gone. He recounts in verse four that he's been driven away from God's sight. He realizes that he has been wrong. He realizes his his corruption, his depravity. He realizes the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have to realize that. We have to realize we have a great need. Our problem isn't often that we have a low self-esteem. Now, I'm all for having confidence and being encouragers, but we often think too highly of ourselves, too much of ourselves, and we need to see ourselves where we're at. Like in the beginning of the Beatitudes, we talked about being poor in spirit. So he realizes that, and then he confesses his need because it says, out of the belly, he cries. Out of his distress is what he says in verse two. He realizes he can't fix it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, we can't fix it with our moral effort. We can't fix the problem. We can't fix the struggle. We can't fix the weakness. We can't fix, can't fix it on just like putting a bunch of rules together. Because we can't be good enough to put God in a position where he's just got to bless us. No, we have to cry out. We have to realize our need. Like Augustus' top lady said in the great hymn, Rock of Ages, he said, it's not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save 
and thou alone. And we confess our need. And, and like Jonah, we don't have to be in a perfect place. We'll learn later in Jonah, it doesn't seem like he fully repents. He's still got some issues going on. You don't have to get to a place where I just, I got it fully figured out. Now I can pray. No, we just come as we are and we cry out to the Lord and realize that the salvation that you have comes at a great cost. Jonah would have realized that. In verse four, he had said, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet... I again shall look upon your holy temple. That's not just a pretty imagery for him to put on a card. He understood the temple to be the place where God's people would go because above the mercy seat is where God's people would meet with God. And the only way that one could meet with God was that there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a shedding of blood. And we've talked about the day of atonement. And there was a shedding of blood so that they could meet with God. It's only by the death of another that we can, we can get and secure forgiveness to speak with God. And so in Jonah's experience, he didn't fully realize what was going to come. He doesn't, didn't realize the, the death that Jesus was going to pay. But Jesus looked back on the life of Jonah and he said this in Matthew 12, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus didn't deserve to be in that place. But he did go to that place so that we could have a relationship with God. Now, there are two things, even in this narrative, even in talking about these truths, that are hard for us to accept sometimes. First off, it's sometimes hard to, for us to accept that we're sinful because we often look at others and we compare ourselves with others and go, I think I'm not too bad compared to them. And then other times it's hard for us to believe that God is as freely extending his grace to us. That can't be true. This extension of God's grace that he sends, it can't be true. I must have to do something. But we realize both of those things, our sinfulness and his amazing grace in one place by looking at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we see his grace and his mercy. So do you feel like you're under the water today? Do you feel you're stuck? You are not hopeless. God has already acted so that you can be born anew. And if you question, if you're like, yeah, well, I'm too sinful. How deep, how far does God go to rescue someone? Well, look at the picture of Jonah to the depths of the ocean, the farthest of the deeps. That's how far he goes. You can't escape the reach of God. And God heard Jonah's cries, and God can hear your cries. He will hear your cries for mercy no matter what you have done. So you can cry out today. You can cry out for salvation in Christ Jesus by praying today. 
you can cry out today from the place where you're at if you realize that there's been conviction of sin in your life. You can cry out today if you just don't have clarity at all about what's going on in your life. You can cry out. And you need to know this truth because at some point, if you're not experiencing suffering today, all you have to do is live long enough and you're going to experience trial and challenge. And so you need to remember this truth because you can cry out in that moment and he will hear and this grace becomes amazing when we realize we deserve nothing. We're, we're completely incapable of saving ourselves, but we are saved by God, not because of the works that we do, but because of the work that he did, sacrificing his son. Jonah was aware he was separated from God. And apart from Christ, we are separated from God. But on this side of the cross, you need to know you aren't separated from God. You can come near. And even when you don't have the energy to come near, you need to know what's said in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love how long that list is. Because it prevents us from going, but, but this experience, no, nothing. Nothing can separate you from his love if you are found in Christ. So cry out to him and know that mercy restores. Even if all hope seems lost, there's a restoration that happens here for Jonah. And there's a restoration that you will experience when you are tempted to distance yourself from the Lord or feel like you are distanced from the Lord. He wants us to be brought near and tangibly experience that. Because Jonah, as, as we've been reading, Jonah, Jonah notices God's pursuit of him. Look at the second half of verse 6 and, and then into verse 7. That yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He realized he was in a place where he had been an idolater. He had, he had wanted something more than he had wanted God. And Tim Keller says, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I feel significant and secure. If the answer to that is not God, it's an idol. When I have that thing, when I, when I have that achievement, when I, when I have that acceptance, when I, when I have that job title or that trophy or title of mom or dad or husband or wife or friend or when I have that degree or when I get that report on my school report card, then, then, no, let's not look to those things because because idols never deliver, and they don't, 
They don't save us. So Jonah, what, experience, what he experiences here when he says those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, he realizes, yeah, the idols are not going to deliver. He may have been thinking about the idols of those in Nineveh, but his idols were not going to deliver. And the great deliverance that happened here isn't the end where Jonah gets spit out onto the beach. The great deliverance is the deliverance that happens in his heart that happens in his heart. What rules our hearts? And the way, the place that we go when we realize that our, our hearts aren't directed Godward is what we see here Jonah doing in verse 9. He says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, he starts with thankfulness. He goes to thankfulness. Now, we often are like, well, sure, when things are going well, yeah, we're thankful. We look back in thankfulness. But remember, at this point in the story, Jonah is being thankful in verse 9, but he doesn't get spit up into verse 10, till verse 10. So before the trial is over, while he's still in the belly of the fish, he starts to express thanksgiving towards God. Because thanksgiving reminds us of God's mercy. As Christians, we can often think that thanksgiving is just something that is a nice thing for us to do and display. It's just the outcome. We, just, we should be grateful. And we should be grateful because God has done so much for us. But oftentimes in the scriptures when we see prayers, whether it's Paul prayers or Jesus prayers, other prayers, there's thanksgiving that comes at the front end because the act of thanksgiving is what points you to the mercy of God. Because as we're thankful, it, it helps us to see we have been restored. So when we're singing songs, as we've been singing this morning, we're, we're being pointed back to our merciful God. Thankfulness gets us out of the funk when we are waiting and longing for God to move. It kind of, it, it redirects our gaze because when we're thankful, it reminds us that God has moved. If you're in the spot where you're at and you don't like the spot that you're at, when you start to go, okay, how can I be thankful for what God has done? Absolutely being thankful for what God has done in Christ and his faithfulness. But looking back at your life, you can be thankful for what God has done because he's worked. And if you have a hard time seeing that in your life, we'll talk with somebody else in your small group or in our church before you leave here today because I guarantee God has worked in your life and you can be thankful. And what does it do? It reminds you God's done something. Before you look to what he's going to do, you look at that, that what he's done and then thankfulness opens our eyes to the fact that God's moving right now. Helpful thing that can be done. A friend of mine challenged me every day to write down something I'm thankful for. Not just something in the past. And he said, look, I want you to do it. The first time he challenged me, he said, I want you to do it uh, for an entire year. Every day, write something down that you're thankful for and you're not allowed to repeat it. That sounds like really fun until, until day 10. But you know what it did? And you know what it does? It helps me to see not just God did something before, but what did God do today? What did God do just yesterday? And then you get to the place where you're like, do I only have to write one? I can write more than one. There's no rules here. I'm going to write more than one because there's just so much there. You see God moving and it opens your eyes to see God moving. And then because of that, thankfulness gives us the hope that God will move again in the future. 
Thankfulness is not a checkbook thing that we need to accomplish to get God's favor. Thankfulness is the thing that we do to remind us that we have God's favor. That we have God's favor. Jonah realized God had pursued him and secured him in, from death. He kept him from death in the ocean before he sees the light of day. And then he sees the light of day. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. Yes, the word vomited is in your Bible. And it's, it's messy. It, like even at the end of the story, it's messy. This life is messy. As I read my Bible, it doesn't stop getting messy until we see Jesus face to face. So even in the deliverance that happens in his heart, even in the physical deliverance that happens, it's still messy. But in the messy, we can see God's mercy pursuing. And if we can't see it, we only need to look to the cross of Christ where we see God pursued us in love. Jonah's descent into the depths of the deep only reminds us of texts like Isaiah 53, 10, which says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The ultimate sign of God's divine authority and his divine mercy is the cross of Christ that we're going to be reminded of today when we take communion together in just a little bit. Before the Lord delivered us, we were drowning and without hope but we have hope because of what Christ has done. And Jonah does point us to Christ, but he and Christ are different because Jonah, he felt forsaken. Jesus was forsaken. Jonah felt abandoned. Jesus was abandoned on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was on the cross Perfectly obedient, God had to turn his face away because he couldn't look on sin. Jonah provoked God's wrath, and Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for us, fully and completely, each and every last drop. Jonah cried out in failure. Jesus cried out in victory when he said, it is finished. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.